standing on the corner Suitcase in my hand Jackson's closer, Jane is in her vest And me, I'm in a rock and roll band That record got me high is proud to be sponsored by Is This Tomorrow? Is This Tomorrow is a weekly web comic cataloging the absurdities taking place at the Zorro News Channel. Is This Tomorrow is available at isthistomorrow.com. That's isthistomorrow.com. That record got me high, and Is This Tomorrow bring you Doug Yule discussing the recording of the fourth Velvet Underground album, Loaded. The the, um, the recording sessions for Loaded, um, they're kind of blurry. <laughs> Much of the 60s are blurry for me. Um, we one of one of the things I remember is is when, when we started the sessions is uh, Steve Sesnick and Lou um, wheeling one of the Sun amps through the streets of Manhattan because they couldn't get it in a taxi and they did, Sesnick didn't want to pay for a truck. So they literally, it was on wheels, it's a big cabinet, it was as tall as you are, you know. And they wheeled it through the streets um, from 50 west, from East 57th or East 55th over to uh, Central Park West where the studio, the big studio for Atlantic was, and broke a wheel and doing it, but they had to have that for the session. We just, we were in the big studio, we started um, tracking, um, you know, Lou would pick a song and we'd, lay a track down and um, then start layering, uh, you know, other stuff on top of it. You know that women never really faint and that villains always blink their eyes. Welcome, welcome everyone to another episode of That Record Got Me High. That is Barry Stock. That is Rob Elba. And we're just going to cut right to the chase. We have a very special guest with us uh, this evening. And who do we have, Barry? Gary Wallach from Big Dipper and one of the original members of the Volcano Sons. That's right. How you and, doing? And, uh... Uh, all right, how are you guys doing? Good. How are you, Gary? Good. We don't have to pretend. We've been I'm... talking for like 10 minutes, know, but we got to pretend. <laughs> all the way yeah, in. Yeah, I'm doing well. Yeah, he's talking to us all the way in Natick. Massachusetts, because people don't know where that is. Eh, yeah, Natick, uh, Massachusetts. And he just uh, uh, he just got out of shul with uh, Jonathan Richmond, apparently. I think <laughs> right. that, isn't that what he said? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> he just flew in from Brooklyn, and boy, are his arms tired. <laughs> Okay. So what are we talking about, guys? What are we talking about, Gary? You picked this record, so why don't you why don't you drop it and let us, everyone know what we're talking about? Well, I thought it would be fun to talk about the Velvet Underground's fourth record, Loaded, um, because, uh, well, for many reasons. One of them is that, for reasons I can't quite figure out, it's the Velvet Underground record that I've listened to the most in my life. I find it endlessly intriguing. I, can I see find that. it gives, yeah, it, it gives me something different um, every time I listen to it. At, at least you know something subtly different, and um, it's weird. It sort of connects me. Believe it or not, it connects me to my youth when I used to be glued to the radio 
listening to AM Top 40, and that's where I first heard the Velvet Underground, if you can believe that. Oh, wow, really? well, you must have been in the right place at the <laughs> right time. Well, me and, me and Barry were actually talking about that, because we were saying at some point in the 70s, rock radio used to play, they used to play rock and roll and, um, Sweet, and, Jane. Sweet, and Jane Sweet Jane on the radio, right? Yeah, I heard both of those, and um, it was really amazing because uh, maybe this is a topic for another time, but I think Top 40 Radio of that era, which you know would have been, for me, the late 60s through the mid-70s, was a, a pretty incredibly eclectic mix of songs. Yes, a lot of it was really bad, but the mix of, of music was always enthralling. You never knew what you were going to get. So, right. you know, you could get... You could get rock and roll by the Velvet Underground right next to Sugar Sugar by the Archies, um, you know, or, or whatever schlock, um, you know, bubblegum stuff they were playing at the time. And, and I found that really enthralling. And, and the other reason I, I think I liked it from a young age is because my uncle John Oliphant uh, was a music critic for a Boston music magazine called New England Scene, and so he used to get um, promos and he used to buy a lot of stuff too, but he always had a lot of records, and from the time I was probably six or seven, he was playing a lot of stuff to me that I never would have been able to listen to otherwise. Uh, I first heard Love Forever Changes when it first came out. Wow, 67, so yeah. yeah, way back, yeah. So you yeah, were like, right so you were this kid actually listening to the radio, which is like the kid we sing about in the song rock and roll. You you were that kid. I kind of was that kid, and you know, I, I used to spend. I used to come home from elementary school uh, in Brookline, Massachusetts. I'd, I'd walk, I'd practically run home, and I'd, I'd I'd take my chair and put it in the corner where the little stereo cabinet was. We had one of those like combo. Uh, turntable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm very familiar with yeah, that. You to, yeah, you had to wait for the tubes to warm up, and I couldn't <laughs> wait for the tubes to warm up, and I'd, I'd like listen to the Beatles until I could, I could not keep my eyes open anymore. And um, so those were really happy days, sort of drinking and all this music and wondering how I could possibly work it out so that I could play something like this someday. So uh, you, you, you so, mentioned your uncle's last name was Oliphant, so you are yeah. related to uh, yeah. to Jeff. He's your cousins? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Jeff uh, Oliphant from Big Dipper, the drummer. Um, so Yeah, John, John, John is Jeff's uncle as well. And um, we had a band together uh, starting in 1977, when Jeff was 10 or 11, um, called the Chlor Games, C H L O R D A N E S, which was is a pesticide that has since been banned. Oh, nice! Um, <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, the, the three of us had a band, and you know, uh, we played right up until a few years ago when John moved to Colorado. But we're still looking to do that Colorado show. But but John hipped us to some really great stuff that we probably wouldn't have heard until we were much older, and that was a really cool thing. And the Velvet Underground record was something that I just was always fascinated with from the time it was released. Right. So so was this, was Loaded the first Velvet Underground record that you actually bought? 
Yes, it, it was. And, um, you know, when I was probably... I'm guessing white light, uh, white heat might have been a shock. <laughs> After loaded. Oh, this looks good. Yeah, well, I actually probably... I probably heard the third record. Yeah. The eponymous, you know, the Velvet Yeah, Underground, yeah, sure, the Grey album, yeah. White, white heat, which is wonderful, too, and it's got some really great pop stuff on it as well. Um, but then White Light Heat was, White Light White Heat was just, uh, that was the killer for me because at the time I started to absorb that one, I was in, um, for some pretty, um, oh, how should we say, um, you can, you can spit it out because you, we've, 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 we've already had Cheetah Chrome on the show. So all, anything bad that anyone has done, he did it already. So (laughs) that's true. Who, who did it? Cheetah Chrome from uh, the Dead Boys. Ah, right. So no, but 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 I was totally fascinated with that record when I was in college. I actually had it on cassette, and uh, I used to I used to paint apartments uh, on the weekends, and I made really good money doing that. And the the way I could get myself through a whole day of painting an apartment in a lonely empty oh place yeah was, oh was yes to blast white light white heat. And one of my favorite things to do was to put uh, the gift to the left channel so I would only hear the music. <laughs> um, good, uh, yeah, yeah, the, the story, is, is yeah, so the good. story, I right. listen to that on Endless Loop, you know? Yeah, I mean, they... Once you hear the story once, you're, you're like, like oh, okay, got it. yeah, Waldo <laughs> Jeffers, and yeah, 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 the blood spurts, and then that's it, right, we're out. Um, yeah. Right. So this, so this record, to me, I always felt like it was. I mean, well, a lot of people say also it was the kind of their last ditch attempt to try and make a straight record that would be yeah. commercial that yeah. would get played on the radio. Well, the, well, the subtext is it was it was supposed to be loaded with hits. Right. That's why it was called "Load," which I never knew. I did not know that until <laughs> looking it up. I, you know, "Loaded" also implies was when people were you got some heroin in you and you were loaded, right. so or drunk, loaded. Oh. Uh, so you know Lou playing with that, of course. Sure, and and the the interesting thing about the record is they had some modest chart success with it. I mean, I wouldn't have heard it on AM Top Forty Radio in Boston if that had not been the case. Yeah, but right. When, but it's it's interesting because there are some real dogs on that record. I mean, I personally. I could listen to the songs because, you know, I guess I'm sort of a, a, a loaded geek. But right, um, you know, I, I I I could easily make a case for losing the song. I found a reason, and Lonesome Cowboy Bill and Oh Sweet Nothing, and replace those with some other songs that were um, that Lou had written at the time. I'm with you. Yeah. Later. I'm with you at the time. Well, like the the out the songs that aren't but are on the extended one, like uh, the ocean. I, I I would definitely like more of that one. And yeah, I'm I'm, I'm with you yeah. on that. The record. Is, I, I don't know. I, I'm sorry. I don't know how you leave the ocean off of the record. I don't know how you leave uh, Wild Child, which came out on Lou's first solo record off that record. I don't know how you leave 
Um, or even I'm, um, sticking, with I'm you. sticking with you. Yeah, I love that. Mo Tucker singing I'm Sticking With You. That That's such an awesome song. And uh, yeah, I don't know how you do leave that off. But I think, yeah, yeah. I, I think at this point, Lou was just trying to do anything he could to make something he felt was commercial, which is also why I, th- I think he had Doug Yule sing so many songs. Like, Doug Yule sings like four songs. And uh, I think at that point, it's just Lou thinking, well, maybe people don't like my voice. You know, maybe they'll like Doug's voice better. Yeah, what's, what's fascinating, we haven't really talked about the songs that actually did make it on the record other than, than Sweet Chain and Rock and Roll, but, you know, the, the, looking at the list of the songs, five of them were sung by Lou Reed, and I'd love to talk about his vocal performances on at least a couple of them. Oh, no, we're oh, going to get through, sure, we're yeah, get through totally. every, we're and, and, get through and, every song. And, yeah, and five of those were, recorded, were sung by Doug Yule, and at least two of the songs, Who Loves the Sun... And New Age, if you listen very closely to the very first line, it sounds like he's trying to be Lou Reed. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I I don't doubt that. For years, I didn't even know it was a different singer. For years, I thought it was just Lou just sounding wild. I was was always suspicious of Who Loves the Sun. I'm like, it sounds kind of like Lou. Right. But I never investigated. I mean, obviously, it would have been, you know, easy enough to find out that Doug sang those songs. But, yeah, he's definitely, and Doug mentions he says you know what had basically happened was um they had ostracized sterling morrison and so poor sterling um you know doug was um playing the guitar parts and it was a doug the doug and lou show basically uh because mo, mo yeah. is not in it and you know that's kind of like what happened with a big dipper pretty much too right with you and- <laughs> yeah oh well yeah. Uh- well well see the, the thing that's interesting to me about that is first of all um, Doug could not pull that off for a whole song. He eventually sang more like himself, right? Than Blue, which is right. a good thing. Um, and also, I'm really sort of amazed at how good he is at covering all the bases, of playing all the instruments. I mean, he plays the drum. As far as I know, he plays the drum on Head Held High, which is probably my favorite song from that record. And he also plays the bass. And man, it is the pump and rhythm section. It is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Billy didn't, Billy Yule did not play the drums on the whole record then so uh, no, Doug... no 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 just some song. he played some songs uh, Doug played uh, drums on a couple and they had some other session musician Tommy uh, Castanero uh, also played it on a couple songs okay so yeah they used different right. guys um, alright so right. let's take we're gonna we're gonna just pause for a second because we had me and me and uh, in case you haven't figured out by now, Gary, me and Barry are, are idiots. Yeah, we didn't set up. We're, we we have it set up now where we're going to play a little bit of each song before we talk about it, just to refresh our memories. But we I have we to set test up. It. So just just stand by one second, all right? While we get this set up, all right? Stand by. Sure thing. Sure thing. <laughs> okay, just press play. I'm ready to go. Oh, are you really? Let's instead of just the beginning, I some other salient point. Right. So we're back. <laughs> we're back. We had a little technical difficulty, but we're good now. With um, Gary Wallach. Gary Wallach. We're talking about Loaded. All right, so we should say real quick, we were talking about, of course, uh, at this time, the Velvet Underground was Lou Reed, uh, Sterling Morrison, and then we got Doug Yule and Maureen Tucker, who is credited Having on a baby. the record. But yeah, she was pregnant she then. Was she was not there. She does not play on this record. No, she does not. Um, yeah, and... Yeah, Sterling plays only a little bit, is my understanding. Right, right. Yeah, so, which, yeah, like yeah. you said, it's basically the Lou and uh, Doug show. And there was some hard feelings, I think, about that, yeah. uh, Sterling's and, part. 
you could definitely tell that uh, Maureen's not involved uh, because it, it definitely, I mean, it, it still sounds like a Velvet's record, but not really. It doesn't really. have that primitive. Not really, it doesn't no. have that primitive thing. All right, so let's get, let's just start listening to it. Let's get into the first song. Let's hear a little bit of Who Loves the Sun. Who loves the sun? Who cares that it makes plants grow? Who cares what it does since you broke my heart? Who loves the wind? Who cares that it makes breezes? Who cares what it does since you broke my heart? Alright, we're good. Ba-ba-ba. Yeah, it isn't like you already haven't heard this record. Like, how many times do you think you've listened to this record, Gary, in your lifetime? Uh, it would be impossible to tell because uh, when I listened to it the most, you know, I was a teen. So right. from the age of 15 to 19 or 20, I, I, I don't know. I probably listened to it several times a week. So that's pretty it's cool. impossible to say. That's pretty cool when you think yeah. about it, that you that were is. a teenager listening yeah. to the Velvet Underground. I mean, that's Because there's some confe- cool. yeah, true confession stuff that... I'm sure I could come up with that. I might have been listening to this, but I might have been listening to some horrible other things. <laughs> okay, so like we already said, yeah, this is actually Doug Yule uh, singing, but maybe trying to sound a little like Lou. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, maybe but also there's a... A little sweeter. There's right? also um, a really heavy, like... Um, Pop like bubblegum pop feel oh, to this, to this one? tune. Oh yeah, with the bop, 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 oh yeah, for sure. So when you mentioned "Sugar Sugar" by the Archies, I was like, ah, you know what? Um, Who loves the sun has got a little bit of that in there. That that uh, sweet uh, bubblegum feeling. It sure does. But what I think they were going for there too is something I always admired, which is um, enclosing a subversive or somewhat subversive message in a nice sweet pop package and I think what they were doing here was they were taking a jab at the Beatles. Oh yeah, that's right because who loves it because um, Here Comes the Sun had just come out like a a year before previously in 69. Yeah, just about a year, yeah. That's right. And uh, which I love. I love that song. Of course, yeah. How could you not? (laughs) Yeah, and and, and when I heard this I'm like well that's kind of clever and fun but you know, despite that, whether that was the primary intention or not, I don't know. But despite that, it you know, it has its own very beautiful and very wonderful moment. Oh it yeah, does. it's a real pretty song. And and I was wondering Derek, And it's got a weird chord change in it too, because it goes from uh, well, let's say A right down to A flat. It's a, a flat. Yeah, it's just like a real like ordinarily you would either go down to a minor but it just, um, Lou has got a very, um, you know, interesting way sometimes of putting chords together. And that just is not one I would have thought of about going like straight down a half step. Right. Um, because, yeah, we should yeah. say, we didn't mention it, but Lou wrote all these songs. Even though Doug sings uh, oh, like yeah. four of them, Come Lou on. wrote t- all yeah, of these songs. No. Yeah. And yeah. I was wondering if it, like, I was thinking the same thing uh, you uh, as you, Gary, but I'm wondering if that, that you feel even like there's a little underlying edge to it. But I'm wondering if we think that just because we know them, we know the Velvet Underground, you know what kind of band they are, so you sort of expect it. Like, I wonder if the Mamas and Papas had done this song or the Hollies or <laughs> right, something, you know? Right, there would yeah. be no undertone that you would think of, you know? No, you wouldn't. That's- 
that's a good point. But then again, when you think about it, Lou Reed was self-aware enough to know that people would kind of catch that context. Whereas oh, right. I don't, I don't think anyone on the Mamas and the Papas was that self-aware. No. <laughs> even, even if they had done a subversive band, which right. they, they weren't. Also, so. this record is after all of that 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 stuff. Like those bands, you know, the Hollies, the Mamas and the Papas. We're you have to back up a few years. That was 60s, With 1970, right, yeah. you know, you're talking about Funhouse by the Stooges and you know, Born to Be Wild, Steppenwolf. It's a little things have started to um, harden up a little bit. Um, not not everywhere, but there's uh, definitely the um, 70s are a different vibe than the and, 60s. And there is one creepy, th- real creepy thing in this song, though. About one minute in, there's a cough. Someone's coughing. Yeah, did you, you, I've heard that. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wow, somebody coughs before the chorus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and don't forget, too, that, that Lou had been a songwriter for Hire. For right. Pickwick, and, yeah. Right. Yeah, someone needed a pop song, someone needed a a ragtime song, someone, you know, whatever it was, Lou could kind of do that. So, or the or the ostrich, the, the, a novelty song, the ostrich, which is uh, yeah. insane. <laughs> put, put your put your head on the dance floor and have someone <laughs> step, step on. on <laughs> All right, so let's get uh, let's get into the second song on this record. Let's uh, pause and hear a little bit of uh, what I think could be one of the one of the greatest rock and roll songs. It is Sweet Jane. Standing on the corner Suitcase in my hand Jackson's corset, Jane is in her vest And me, I'm in a rock and roll band huh. Riding the studs back at Jim You know, those were different times all, all the poets, they studied rules of verse And those ladies, they rolled their eyes I will say, all right, so the beginning of it, what is that? Because that, to me, the beginning of it reminded me of like a disco, like disco songs And it almost sounds like a Casey and the Sunshine it band It does song. But Casey oh, and the Sunshine band much came later. at, at yeah, later you're right, yeah Right? But doesn't it sound like that? It has that, yes, it's the beginning of, uh, um it's got that that yeah. One Make of his get songs. down tonight. I think is the song you're thinking of. So whatever that instrument yeah. is, yeah, Gary, what, whatever that keyboard instrument is, that's the same thing. Right. It's gotta be. It, it, it sounds like they're manipulating um, the guitar sound with uh, a little bit of tape speed change there. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, you yeah, know, right. I think they're recording it at half speed and then playing it back, and it sounds like it's. Uh, you know, twice as high up on the fretboard. Uh, that sounds right. So maybe yeah. someone producing Casey's record go, "Hey, did you hear yeah, that little intro?" Yeah, Let's. Right. <laughs> yeah, and it's cu- it's curious because, uh, and this is a whole. Thing. We could probably talk for three hours about the way the record was recorded and mixed, but much of the record sounds so flat and so untreated, and and then you get this intro to Sweet Jane. Right. And that sounds totally is, comes out of left field. Yeah, it's like, well, it's only the second song, so maybe it doesn't come out of left field at that point. But in comparison to the other songs, it's got this incredible textural ambient thing that 
sort of stands out on its own. There's nothing else that sounds quite like it. On there the isn't, and I should mention that Lou performing it live, as far as I know, he did. There's the very um, lengthy intro that's on Rock and Roll Animal, but it's totally different than this. Lou never that intro is is not something that was ever reproduced recreated, recreated yeah. so live. It's probably something they just came up with in the studio to figure to make. Well, yeah, it, right. Yeah, like uh, oh, the well, also, well, radio's going to love and this. That's interesting. Yeah, well, it's interesting <coughs> considering that there, there was bridge to this song that was hacked out of the original version of the record that was later restored, and uh, and you can hear it in some live performances too. The heavenly days of Wine and Roses. Oh yeah, right, right. Which Lou, which which Lou has always has said after the fact, he was reportedly like furious that they took it out, uh, that they took that out. But a lot of times when he played it, like on Rock and Roll Animal, he didn't have it in there either. Well, it's also, and then right. I think Doug Yule said, oh no, Lou had that taken out originally. Right. That's what I believe. Yeah. So I believe right. he was rewriting as rewriting as find, history. Uh, artists often do; they rewrite their own history. Uh, so yeah, maybe he thought it was just a little too that break just took the song out. It does, of its, and uh, he's he's right. It's great. I mean, it's great. I really love it. Honestly, the first time I ever heard that that break, the Heavenly Wine and Roses, was when the uh, Cowboy Junkies covered oh. it. <laughs> And I was like, what's yeah, that? Right. Where did they get that from? And then, it's and in then there. when I heard the live, it's on the live um, 69. Uh, yeah. That is 69. Right. Yeah. 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 They, they uh, the Matrix, the stuff from the Matrix. Um, so, yeah, yeah the, Lou was kind yeah. of full of shit with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gary, didn't you but, say, yeah. I understand that you actually said hello to Lou in a club one time. Is that true? Did I remember hearing a story? No. It was not you? No, not. Not me. It was someone else. Uh, I don't know, but I, I had an opportunity to meet him once, and I I uh, I whiffed. Um, uh. He was doing an interview at the at the radio station that I worked for, WBUR in Boston. I can't remember why. After this show, you can put an ED on the end of that word. Work. <laughs> the show. Yeah, I'm right, just kidding. Exactly. <laughs> um, um, well, anyway, I'm walking down the hallway, and, and, and when you walk down the hallway, you, you pass these four main studios, and you can see who's in the uh, recording room because there's a lot of glass. And I'm walking. I didn't even know he was supposed to be in the station. I'm walking down the hall. I see this guy sitting there by himself in front of this big Moimon uh, microphone, and I'm like, gosh, that looks like Lou Reed. And then he looks at me, and I'm like... Yep. Oh man, that is really weird. <laughs> yeah, right. And I'm like, oh man, I should go in and say hi, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. And um, he he really had this sour look on his face that said, "Oh really? What, what a surprise!" <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. just gonna say. If you're thinking about if you're thinking about talking to me, don't. don't. Yeah. You're <laughs> right. You made the right. You made the right decision. No one here is arguing with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but here's the thing, my friend Bob, who. Um, uh, was an engineer at the time, uh, recorded the interview, and when he was setting Lou up, he said hi, and Lou said hi, and Lou asked him a question about the microphone, because as you know, Lou is a big home recording right. enthusiast. Right. And so they started talking about going on microphones, and then they started talking about other microphones. I mean, like 30 seconds, they were best friends. Right, right. Uh, okay. So uh, that could have been your in. It could have been, but I didn't know it. Oh well. Yeah, you know, I think I'm gonna say that you probably rolling the dice on an on a on a interaction with Lou. You have you came away with a good memory. 
almost. It may have not been that you know didn't come out exactly the way you wanted, but yeah, I forget which one of you. It was probably it was embarrassing encounter, so it was probably Steve Michener. I'm gonna guess. I think so. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it, the story was that some members of Big Dipper were in a club, and Lou Reed was. I guess Lou was playing. Uh, was that and they were there to see the reading. and Lou walked by them and you know one of them went hey Lou hey Lou hi Lou. or hey hey Lou how's it going and he said he just looked over at who he was walking along with and said yeah like he fucking knows me <laughs> <laughs> so yeah well, I, I'll tell you I'll tell you one story I have a friend uh, who claims to know Jonathan Richmond and you know Tucker and in 1985, I wasn't really doing anything. Uh, I, you know, I'd been out of volcano friends for a year, and it was before I started hanging around with Bill and started writing songs with him. Um, so I, I get a call one day from this guy, and he says, Hey, uh, I have a really big bit of news for you. Can I come over? I'm like, Yeah, sure. So he comes over, and, and we're talking, and he says, uh, Jonathan Richmond and Mo Tucker want to start a band in Boston. Oh! Start a band. And they asked me who the best guitar player in Boston is who might be interested in doing something with them. And my friend said, well, it's Gary Wallace. Which, oh, uh, all right. I will, I, will, I will pause here and say that, that that's not true. No, of course not. Even I'll say that. <laughs> <in Boston>. But, <laughs> but uh, he said, um, you know, would you be interested? And I'm like... Um, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so I was very excited about that possibility. They never moved to Boston. They never started a band together. I, yeah. I probably know the story's not even true, but. No. You think, but you know what? You think th- those other guys in Big Dipper were hard to work with. Could you imagine how d- difficult the band that would have been yeah. to be in? <laughs> well, yes. Having had some firsthand experience. Um, with um, one of those people, yeah. I can got say some Mo Tucker war stories. Uh, yeah, and um, she was living in Douglas, Georgia, and I don't know, maybe maybe she was talking to Jonathan on the phone or whatever. I I'd have to hit up MC Caustic for the whether this was ever anything he heard about, but um, you know when they went down and interviewed her, uh, the what goes on people from or they went up to uh, Douglas to interview Mo. You know I, she was working at Walmart as a data entry and, uh, you know, had raising her kids. So I don't know if moving to Boston and being a band with Jonathan Richmond, if that was a... Well, might have been a passing thought. Much like your Lou Reed encounter, it, it probably wouldn't have ended well. No, it yeah. definitely would not. Well, yeah. All right. Because so, she plays... Lo- <laughs> Mo, Mo plays loud. So Jonathan, you know... Oh, yeah, he doesn't like loud. He does, my recollection is Jonathan <laughs> likes to, you know, let's all play like, like it, you know, children in elementary school. All right, so we haven't we haven't mentioned the lyrics in this. I really this this song as for as simple a sounding song it is. Well, it we we went way great, off track, didn't we? We did. We went out. Uh, <laughs> that's all right. We can do that. Uh, some people like to go out dancing, and other people they have to work. <laughs> yeah. And there's even some evil mothers. Well, they're going to tell you that everything is just just dirt. dirt. And I love that line because that is basically because we know people like that. Just as people that just put down everything and think everything yes, is we shit do. and yeah. are negative. Which I'm thinking maybe Lou could be like. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. But in this song, he's sort of turning it around. He says, you know, that women never really faint and that villains always blink their eyes and that children are the, the only, only ones who blush, blush and that life, life is, is just, just to die. die. It's so, it's so it's poetic. Great song. It's so great. It right? is one of the, it is one of the, for me, it's one of the 
great songs in rock and roll just because it has this sort of epic sweep of you know of of uh, of optimism and hopefulness and he's got these characters who you kind of he tells you just enough ab- about that you kind of are interested in them yep you know um all right well so i think i, I think what he does in sweet Jane is quite extraordinary he connects the decadent new york scene of the late 60s to the f scott fitzgerald decadence uh, of the Roaring Twenties. Yeah. And then and he takes a look at that cynicism. And actually, I think it's the stanza after the ones that you just quoted that's the most amazing because it ties the whole thing together and it blows away all of that sort of dark, gloomy uh, pessimism. It's, he says, and he, and he sings beautifully, and anyone who ever had a heart they wouldn't turn around and break it, and anyone who ever played a part, they wouldn't turn around and hate it. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah that is beautiful. You're right. It yeah. is. It is. It's just yeah. It, it it is. It's great, and it's so. That was the thing about Lou. He as, as such a guy that seems so like <laughs> hard. Yeah, hard and reserved. Cynical. He could write these like this just beautifully poetic things that just he get could. you in the gut. Right. Right. Yeah, just don't try right. and just don't try and get close to Lou, and, and don't say hi to him. Don't say hi to him because <laughs> you, you don't really know him. <laughs> right? No. <laughs> All right. So let's. Uh, speaking of great songs, this this album has like a one two three punch. It does. That is just like amazing. Yeah. yeah. I think after it, it it as we said, there's some songs it drops <laughs> off a little, but this song number three. It's another just classic uh, rock and roll. Yeah, it's song. a tie for me. This is a tie with Sweet Jane on the for like great songs right all right so let's listen to a little bit of rock and roll jenny said when she was just five years old there was nothing happening at all every time she puts on a radio there was nothing You know she don't believe what she heard at all She started shaking to that fine, fine music You know her life was saved by rock and roll Despite all the amputations You know you could just go out and dance to the rock and roll station uh, But so, so Gary, this basically, this song I mean, this song sort of lose writing it about himself As a kid listening to radio But this could be you too, right? Uh, it could be, yeah, because, you know, when I was five or probably closer to six, I was listening uh, to the radio, the Boston radio, and um, it really lit a fire. And so, like, everyone can sort of connect with us who grew up at that time and who had a little tiny transistor radio that, you know, we used right. to hide under our, our bed sheets at night. Oh, yeah, I did that for sure. Yeah. Yeah, plug the earphone in and, and the world was uh, at your disposal. Yeah. And, and um, it's what what what's so beautiful. I mean, there's so many beautiful things about this song, but I can't really figure out how they got that guitar texture. It's so nice. Yeah, and you know one one thing is um, I've puzzled over that myself. I believe there's a twelve string involved, and um, there's also um, it's the I think the low note on the guitar is tuned down to C. It's in C. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, it's- 
It didn't seem they got the you know they got the e the high e ringing out up top. Which right, is really and nice. it has a it has a but, sixth a sixth chord in it as well, which is uh, um, unusual yeah. in the uh, you know rock and roll idiom. Um, but Not yeah, there's it, it's idiom, very yeah. it's very um, sweet. The guitars are very sweet sounding, and uh, um, um, and I, I think that yeah, I think he's playing a, a, an acoustic or maybe an electric twelve string. They had I know that Lou and Sterling both had Fender electric twelve strings, so that's probably figures into the sound. Um, and then there's yeah. of course the sound of the guitar solo, which, which has Doug, but this is Doug playing the Doug, guitar solo. Yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Right. But there's also the single line solo, like the horn solo, the horn-like solo. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. The melody. I love that. I love that. Which I believe is also could be played on a twelve-string. Yeah, the the moment of the song is when it goes from the Doug Yule slightly cliched rock and roll. Right, right. And then it and then it goes back to the bridge, and then you hear that second what you refer to as the horn guitar coming in under it, and then the whole song changes. It, yeah, 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 right, right. And funny enough, that that um, Doug Yule guitar break, which um, you know that 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 sort of cliched but cool little rock and roll guitar break, reminds me of something from um, Marky Moon. There's a Richard Lloyd break, maybe in Sino Evil, that's got the same kind of feel. And I've always okay. uh-huh. I've conflated those two things. So I, whenever I hear it, I go, oh, there, it's the same thing that Richard Lloyd does in See No Evil. It actually reminds me a little of uh, Jimmy Page, too. Like something like Jimmy Page would do. Uh, well, true. Right. But I don't know that, you know. No, it just, it just, it just does. I mean, that, that just sort of like little mini shredding, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like a full-on shred, yeah. but mini shred. It's a complicated little riff to learn, as a matter of fact. I've Over the years, I've probably tried to learn it a couple of times and been like, Okay, you know. All right, so let me ask you guys this. I was wondering this. What song... All right, so it's... Uh, Jenny said when she was just five years old, there was nothing happening at all. Every time she put on the radio, there was nothing going down at all. But then one fine morning, she puts on a New York station, and she don't believe what she heard at all. So uh, her life was saved by rock and roll. What song do you think... What do you think Lou listened to as a kid that sort of saved his life by rock and roll? What would he have, what would he have heard on the well, radio? Well, he was into doo-wop. Lou was a huge, big doo-wop fan. Oh, okay. So I don't know. What do you think, Gary? Was it doo-wop? Was I, it Little Richard? Was it, you know... It was probably whatever the teens of his age on Long Island were listening to at the time, whatever that was. Right. Um... But, you know, because, as you know, it almost doesn't matter what music it is. If it hits you at a certain time in your development, you're never going to forget it. True, oh, yeah. true. Yeah, 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 yeah sure. You know? But, what's, again, he gets he, he gets some really nice subversive ideas in here, you know, despite all the amputation. Yeah. Yeah, what, is he, uh, what does he mean by that? What is he trying to say? I don't know. I mean, maybe he had a, a vision of what was going to happen to Sweet Jane, you know, when they cut out the bridge <laughs> or something. But, yeah. but then later, he, he does this amazing syncopated, and it sounds like an unrehearsed line, where he says, Despite all the 
Trump, you, Kate, Sean. Yeah, right. yeah, right. You, you, yeah. Just, you know, it's so it's so um, intuitive and so brilliant. You yeah. Know? Oh, he was great at that. That the the thing about Lou Reed, I, which I always love, why he's probably my favorite songwriter, was that as as like artsy and, and poetic as he could be, you know that he really believed in like the 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 power of rock and roll just yeah. like the primal raw power yeah, of rock and roll definitely. He, he he bought into it totally he and there's did. that point where he does yeah. that that octave jump with his voice in the um find my music. music and you're like what wow the and thing, he does, he yeah. does that he does that with the word believe as well right, right. and yeah. the thing to know he about Lou believe. was yeah people have said that Lou could write songs sort of extemporaneously, like on the spot. Like he could sit mm-hmm. down and start playing. And so he had that particular ability to um, pull things out of thin air um, that I'm guessing the, you know, the word computations, that syncopation and stuff is just something that he, his, in his, you know, Lou Reed the genius right, did, right? right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Barry's cat agrees. If you, <laughs> yeah, Percy says I, I agree. Good. So yes. So uh, what's next? All right. Cool so let's down. next. Yeah, let's listen to a little bit of the fourth track. Cool it down. Somebody nailed the door shut. That says, hey, what do, you, uh, what do you think that you see? But me, I'm down around the corner. You know, I'm looking for Miss Linda Lee because she's got the power to love me by the hour. <laughs> All right, so this One song... One of Lou's pet yeah, subjects appears. But this song doesn't have... Ma- I don't feel like it has that many different layers. It's basically, no, it's basically a about... Up, yeah. yeah, Miss Linda Lee is a prostitute. And she charges by the hour, and the and the guy he he's got a whole uh, he's like finishing too quick, but he's got a whole hour. So she's telling him, "You better cool, cool yourself down." down. Right, exactly. <laughs> you got a whole hour right. that, that you're paying for. Pretty much. Yeah. Do you think that's pretty yeah. much? Yeah. Pretty straightforward. I, I sort of wondered about his motivation for for writing this song. I mean, it's right. It, 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 it's not as menacing and as dark. As for instance, oh, let me let me think. Uh, the um, you know the great song on the first record, um, you know Venus and Furs. Right. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. That, yeah. Right. So I wondered what his motivation was, um, but but again, his vocal performance is really good. And, um, you know, it's an enjoyable song, but it's not, not my favorite one on the record. Yeah, it. no, I it's, agree, a, it's, I agree. Well, it's hard to, you go, you know, especially after Sweet Jan and Rock and Roll. <laughs> I know. It's going to be, there's going to be a song where a it sort of comes down. back it's down so, to work. Oh, it's a good song, but yeah. yeah. It's not, right, yeah, yeah. All right, so let's, uh, let's take a little break before we continue. Uh, we'll take a little break and we'll be right back. We're talking with uh, Gary... Uh, Wallach? You can do it, Wallach. <laughs> Wallach. Wallach. And uh, we're talking about Loaded by uh, Velvet Underground. We'll be back in a minute.
That record got me high is proud to be sponsored by Is This Tomorrow? Is This Tomorrow is a weekly web comic cataloging the absurdities taking place at the Zorro News Channel. Is This Tomorrow is available at isthistomorrow.com. That's isthistomorrow.com. That record got me high. And Is This Tomorrow bring you Doug Yule discussing the recording of the fourth Velvet Underground album, Loaded. So, for example, um, I think this is Train Round the Bend was tracked with maybe only one or maybe two instruments. Most of them were two instruments, you know. Um, Train Round the Bend was based on the vibrato, on the rhythm on the, the based on the vibrato that the sun amp produces. And if you listen to it, you can hear it. It's just real, it's train-like, you know. And uh, But the, uh, uh, the process was very uh, introspective and very uh, dissective. It was, you know, pick it apart and put it back together and, and, and um, build this kind of uh, puzzle of a song, um, which, as I was saying before, is very different than the third album, which was more very organic and, you know, uh, this was more like grafting fruit trees, you know, you graft one thing onto another and see what you get. are back with That Record Got Me High. That's Barry Stock. That's Rob Elba. And we were talking to our special guest. Gary Wallach. From the band Big Dipper. He played in the Volcano Suns, and now he basically just walks around his house and looks at his musical gear, but doesn't actually do anything (laughs) with it, as we just found out. But that's fine. That's fine. Maybe doing... Gary, maybe doing this, talking about this record will will spark you. There you go. You know? Yeah. I hope so. I've got some songs worked up that I hope will... Maybe become some Mars classroom tunes at some point. And, right, because uh, you you made that record with uh, um, one of your favorites, Robert Rob. Pollard, yeah. Robert Pollard, yeah. right? Yes. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Rob is trying to. He is yeah. one of my favorites. He is. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love Robert Pollard. And we will probably do another GBV record at some point. At some point, we have to, yeah. Or Robert Pollard solo record. You never know. There's a G. There's there's some. There's like 300 to pick from. So, <laughs> Gary, actually, what do you think of their new, their the latest thing, the uh, Zeppelin uh, one? Uh, I, I think it's really good. I, I haven't heard it yet. Oh, um, it's really yeah, good. I it, have it. I have it here somewhere, but we had to very quickly put all of our uh, sort of unshelled CDs in the garage because we had a basement flood. We had a hot water tank sale, and um, a lot of stuff got destroyed. Fortunately, none of my musical gear, but... So I've got these stacks and stacks of CDs that are, are unalphabetized, and uh, I have that somewhere, and I, I, I'm dying to listen to it. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, it is. It's really good. All right, but we're talking about uh, Velvet Underground Loaded, and we're at song number five, so let's listen to a little bit of New Age. Can I have your autograph? He said to the fat blonde actress... 
You know I've seen every movie you've been in From pairs of pain to jewels of glory And when you kissed Robert Mitchum Gee, this song, this song has like a real creepy vibe to it. It does, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, well, you know... Um, so he sets the yeah, scene in a brutal. fairly yeah you know and this this story has been written before we um who's what song did we cover about the was that Mott the Hoople about the aging um, actress oh yeah I think it was There's, which is on 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 all the interviews which <laughs> is ironic because they cover Sweet Jane on they that do, record too yeah right so I think that. thematically they were had an eye on um, loaded for um, uh, all the young dudes. So what do you think about the song, Gary? Um, I think there are a lot of interesting things about the song. One is it should be the ending of the record and not just of the first side. <laughs> okay. Um, yep. It's that It's that kind of a song. I think that Lou has um, really revealed a lot of pathos here. I think there's real sympathy. It's dark, but there's real sympathy for both of the characters here. Yeah, right. Both the fat blonde actress and for the person wanting the autograph. And I, I have to think that more than any song on this record, this must reflect what was going on in his head as the Velvet Underground was falling apart as, you know, the business aspect of it was steamrolling the band, as he was deciding to leave New York City and live with his parents. Right. right. And, you know, he's he's wondering, well, what the heck is going to come with me? I know I have talent. I know I've contributed some really, really great stuff to the, the whole rock and roll canon. So what's going to come with me now? Am I over the hill? Yeah. Uh, I still want to be loved. I want to uh, enjoy that love that I feel when I'm playing music that I love to play and love to write. And I, I think it's what's going on in Lou's mind. And I think it is just an amazing song. Yeah, it's great. It is, and that's interesting you say that because I always wondered because he actually, he changed all the lyrics of this song because the earlier version of it, which is on the 1969 record, has basically completely different lyrics. Right. And it's much yeah. more of a personal song. It sort of explores his uh, bisexuality a little. Right. Because it says, it, it seems to be my fancy to make it with um, uh, uh, Dick and uh, Frank and Nancy. Nancy yeah, Frank yeah. and Nancy, right. Um, so yeah, so he totally did change it. And yeah, that's very interesting. I didn't think of that. Um, that's really good though. I like Plus, it. you know, he'd been around the, you know, this could be reflections on the Warhol scene. Like you think about this, the, that scene and those people, and so there was definitely would be some um, some B, grade B Greta Garbo sort of characters right, right, around right, right. that. Um, so anyway, I hate divorces. To the left is a marble shower. It was fun, even for an hour. <laughs> He, he, he really uh, paints a picture. And, yeah, I, I think you're right, Gary, because he's not totally – I mean, it, it is kind of dark, but he but he is kind of – he is showing empathy for these people in a way. I mean, he's not uh, he's not just uh, condemning them or anything. Or so what about, the, what, what about the end, though? Something's got a hold on me, and I don't know what. Something's got a hold on me, and I don't know what. It's the beginning 
of a new age. Well, so he, what happens there? He's leaving. He's going to live with his parents in the suburb. Yeah. I think <laughs> Gary right. might be right, right? Well, but then when you think of what happened after that, I mean, he had this rather remarkable solo career where he was, you know, sort of pushing several boundaries at once. And I think he kind of knew that there was going to be this little calm before the storm, and then he was going to sort of explode again. Right, because he, by the time they did this record, he already had, he, he knew he was out. I mean, he basically left the band before the record was even released. Like a week before it came out. Yeah. So yeah, yeah he was yeah. ready for the new age. Was like what was he was ready for what was coming next. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, and also, exactly he it. had this. Um, the he he was there was this woman he was involved with, who was this sort of regular housewife kind of woman who he met, and who was oh, actually yeah, sort right. of um, stabilized him through that period up until I guess. Transformer, where she said, you know, the drugs and the <clears throat> the dark stuff started swirling around again. Something got a hold. Something else got a hold of him. Basically, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That is, it, it, it's a really, it's a great song. Bowie and Ronson, and, and I love, Iggy. I, I love the ending of it, the chords, because it's got a really tricky little chord progression that uh-huh. sounds, it, it like it, it keeps changing um, structure. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, and it, yeah, right. it's really good. And it's, we have to look at this in the context of. The name of the record and what he's what they were trying to do. Everything about this record, you know, that he's he's got one eye on making a hit. So these harmonic things and these things that he's trying are, you know, quite different than other things in other Velvet records, which are much more simple harmonically. Right, right. But he ended up not really making hits. But he did made some did something a lot better. He made these classic songs that we've still true. Played, that, that oh yeah, sure. You know, idiots, yeah. these two idiots and one one normal guy, Gary, are talking about forty years later. So. <laughs> right, right. Well, interesting. Interestingly, this is the only Velvet Underground song that they did ever covered, and um, we did it. I think it's wow, maybe once or twice. Oh, I'd love to hear that. Uh, you know, uh, something tells you it might have ended up on a B side of some like epic Nashi movie or something. Really? I should know this. But, you should know this. Yeah. <laughs> well, if not, then it was, it was um, we recorded, there were a couple live songs that ended up on an epic Nashi single that they were recorded at Maxwell. And we, we definitely performed the rage that and I can't remember whether it ended up on the record or not. Oh, that's awesome. I would love to hear. Yeah, yeah. well, Steve, if you're listening, Steve's usually good with that. Maybe he'll come up with the uh, or YouTube. Out. You know, <laughs> everything is on yeah. YouTube. There's also actually uh, there's a really good version of it. Uh, Tori Amos has an album called Strange Little Girl that's all covers, and uh, she does a really good version. She of does the age. Strangler song, right? Strange Little Girl. Strange yeah, Little Girl. She right. She does that song, and that's the name of the album. Um, mm-hmm. But it's really good. She does a really good version of New Age too on that. Uh, all right, so let's get. We're gonna flip the record over. Because when you had this, when you had this, Gary, it was an actual album that you had that you listened to, right? Yes. As a teenager, so we so, flip, we flip it over to side two, and let's hear a little bit of Head Held High. Mama told me.
told me ever since I was seven, hold your head up high. My parents told me ever since I was 11, hold your head up high. They said the answer was to become a dancer. <laughs> hold your head up high. Oh, just like I figured, they're always disfigured. With, with their, their head, head up, up high. high, yeah. So what? So this definitely more subversive. Yeah, definitely subversive here. What do you think he's? What, what is he talking about here, Gary? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's probably something that he encountered when he was little. You know, it, it, he was he grew up what in his forties, fifties, right, right, and right. you know, I remember my, you know, my my mom and and my two uncles talking about what my grandparents told them about the way they carried themselves in public and right. how that was important. But, um, I, you know, I don't know what to make of this song. It's, the, the lyric is so wacky, <laughs> and yet the the um, the song is very, very catchy, and the vocal performance is just so passionate. And I think about, you know, we talked about some of the ennui he must have been feeling as he watched his musical career kind of crumble before his very eyes. Right, right, right. And it's, it's amazing to me, uh, like, I, I think that he was occasionally taking a train in from Long Island to rec- do these recordings for Loaded, and it's amazing to me that he could be living this sort of dual life and coming into the city and then belting out a lyric, a vocal performance like this. Um, it's just incredible, and, and I think... The um, the drumming and the bass playing, as I mentioned before, are really really sharp. Yeah, it's a beautiful melodic bass line, and I was so sort of smitten by this song that the first thing I ever recorded when I had a little home setup, I would have been 19 years old. Uh, I had two cassette players, and you know, you'd, you'd record at one channel. Oh yeah, channel, yeah yeah bounce, yeah yeah. Bounce them so back I, and forth. I, I have a version Sebado. of me playing this. <laughs> Yeah, right. But but I had a version of me playing this when I was 19 and playing all the instruments on it. Oh, nice. And ba- basically playing it note for note, the guitar leads and the bass line and everything is like note for note. But the funny thing is, it's an up-tempo song, but there was a speed problem with one of the cassette decks. Each time I dub, it would lose speed. And it sounds like... <laughs> It, it, it sounds like a cowboy junkies. All uh, right. Well, if you've got access to that, we would we would play that in its entirety yeah. on this show. <laughs> you still have that? I'll see if I can find that, and then our, our listeners can see what that's like. Cause it's, it's awesome. Well, I'm just going to mention that anytime Lou talks about his parents in a song, these are the parents that submitted him to electroshock therapy to cure him of depression and homosexuality. And <laughs> right. right. And which yeah. I don't think he ever forgave them. I, I think he's definitely taken a little dig at his parents, even though if they're giving him, uh, you know, um, advice about uh, keeping their, their his head up high. But he's saying, he, especially when he says, oh, just like I figured, they're always, always disfigured. disfigured. So it's like he's yeah. kind of a dig at the generation because they're hung up on how your appearance yeah for you know, sure yeah putting on a good appearance and keeping your head up high so yep. it's like on the surface it sounds like good advice but there's definitely a little dark uh, cynicism uh-huh. underneath there i think which lou's, lou's been uh, known to do yeah yeah all right so let's uh let's listen to a little of the uh the second song on the second side lonesome cowboy bill Lonesome Cowboy Bill Died at the rodeo Lonesome Cowboy 
so this is actually this is another one that Doug sings. Yep. And all right, what? So what? What is this song about? I think. Uh, do you guys know? I know what idea? it's about. Oh, you do for yeah. sure. All right, let's hear it. Well, it was. Uh, it's about William Burroughs. I think it was written tongue in cheek, but it was about Lonesome Cowboy Bill, oh, about uh, that makes famous uh, homosexual that. junkie author William S. Burroughs, and uh, um, and also because he because Burroughs was sent to a. Uh, boarding school in like the Rocky Mountains of Colorado, and um, <laughs> I'm sure he didn't he, he fit, fit right in there. <laughs> yeah, I, it was a traumatic period in his life, and he um, he talks about having a notebook of like love letters he had written when he was there to another boy that he had fallen in love with, and oh, then finding them years later and throwing them in the trash can and burning them to ashes. So, yeah, it was uh, I'm not, I'm not Honestly, I'm not crazy about the song. I, I feel Yule sings it, and I feel it sounds kind of like a goof. It always seemed like kind of a goof to me. Yeah, I think it is. What do you think of this? What do you think of this song? Gary? Um, I, it's my least favorite song in the record. I think it's a pretty terrible song. Yeah, yeah um, me too. I mean, I, I got a chuckle out of it when I learned that it was actually about William S. Burroughs, but I'm not sure what sort of insight it gives us into the man or no. into that. No, part I of think his it's life. just a jape. Kind of I think it's a straight up joke okay, so about now, William Burroughs. Let me ask you guys this, though. So I guess, is it just a coincidence that Andy Warhol, the Andy Warhol film, uh, Lonesome Cowboys, because Lancey Warhol had a film Lonesome Cowboys, I and when I was I, I was reading about it. Um, it's kind of funny. Originally, he was going to call the song "Fuck." I mean, the 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 movie was going. He made this little movie called Lonesome, uh, and he was going to call it "Fuck" or "The Glory of the Fuck." But John Schlesinger, Schlesinger. was doing uh, Midnight Cowboy at the time, and right. he used uh, several members of. Of the honorage, uh, Viva and Ultraviolet oh, yeah, were in that yeah, party yeah. scene. Yeah, right, right. So originally Warhol initially endorsed their participation, but then he got resentful about it because <laughs> he felt like he was they stealing were, right, his yeah, scene. Right. Yeah, so yeah. there people think he changed he called his movie Lonesome Cowboy as a reference to Midnight Cowboy. Uh, <laughs> sounds plausible. But I guess that has nothing probably doesn't have anything to do with that actually. Well, story. you know, and the fact that I just I'll be frank and I just remember reading about the William Burroughs reference and that it was about Burroughs. No, you guys are probably right. I'm sure um, you're right. Yeah. Um, All right, so let's go since, since Gary hates says, that Yeah, song. this song is, it's a, It's not a terrible song, but it's it's, it's for kinda, this record. It's kind of terrible. For this record, it does not, it is not, you know, it's like a C out of, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F. I'm glad Lou doesn't sing that one either. All right, so let's listen to a little bit of I Found a Reason. Blue 
this is a classic blue like we were talking song, about right? we were talking about yeah it's a it's a basically a 50s pop song but there's elements of um that intro the it's got like a beach boys the pop pop they they sing in pop 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're um it in my recollection uh, listening to uh, listening to it in stereo um, they alternate channels, so they pop from one channel to the other, back and forth, and um, they're very um, psychedelic. And for a Velvet, you know, underground production, they have a very um, um, sort of bizarre feeling. Um, and um, Beach Boys, just the way, the same way that Brian Wilson stuff can make you feel a little bit off kilter. Um, yes. It's the same vibe. I agree. What do you think? You you have to like this song, Gary, right? You you have to like this song. I love this song. Uh, it's it's okay. I I could do without it. I, I think really? it serves two purposes. Yeah, I, I, it serves two purposes though. Um, one is it gives us the, the brilliant lines. Oh, I do believe you are what you perceive. What comes is better than what came before. I think that's a really great lot lyric. Yep. Um, but, but it also gives us that weird little intro to Head Held High. Think uh, about it. Uh, oh, Mama told me. That's from I Found a Reason. Oh, okay. 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 okay, okay. I thought, you know what? I I thought of, I, I I sort of thought when I was listening to it that it sounded like I got some deja vu from that. But uh, okay, you've heard that. You've yeah. probably examined the record in much greater detail. So <laughs> we're going to de- defer to your expertise on the. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, I found a reason. Um, yeah, the thing I'm, I like most about it, the rest of the song is constructed like a kind of like a fifties pop or doo wop song would be. Um, um, you know, like a, and, and he and he does the little spoken thing in the middle. Oh yes, oh totally. <laughs> but it's, it's got totally, the maudlin sort of vibe though, to it. Even though it's like, honey, I found a reason to keep living, and you know the reason, dear, <laughs> dear. It's you, and I've and I've walked down life's lonely highways hand in hand with myself, and I realized how many paths have crossed between us. But you know, because it's Lou, you know he's not being. Totally, like he's being ironic, a little ironic, you know? Yes. Right? Yeah, because yes. it's Lou. It's Lou. I read, uh, Gary, I, I, I found this really great quote uh, John Cale is quoted as saying about Lou Reed. He said he couldn't understand how Reed could write such tender and heartfelt songs and yet could be the complete opposite as a human being. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think there are probably more songwriters like that than... than we can imagine. I right, mean, right, right. You know, yeah. people, people have limitations um, for various reasons, and they know that at some level, but they can live in this little fantasy world where they can act out in ways that they can't in real life. And um, you see it all throughout art, and I think Lou is just sort of an extreme example of that yeah right right definitely agreed which it leads to the lesson don't try and meet your heroes right we we, rob we haven't mentioned that in a few episodes but some a lot of times that can uh turn out um yeah you it's chances are it's going to be disappointing for both parties (laughs) for the for you and the hero (laughs) right exactly uh all right so let's listen to the next song let's listen to a little bit of train round the bend 
stuck in Long Island. City boy. Sound easy. Yeah, he's a city boy, and he's not the country type. So it's so fun. this more directly even relates to him I having to so, right? take the train into the city. Yeah, I think to, so. uh, to record the album. Right, Gary. That that's it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 That, that's my take. I always wondered what it was until I learned about the weird sort of history of Loaded, and uh, you know, I like this song. That that uh, weird bluesy riff that ends. With feedback at the end of every line is so so nice. Oh yeah, it is. And, yeah, it is. Yeah, and it's it's got that pulsing rhythm guitar, which I think, in a lot of ways, was very much ahead of its time. It's it's very similar to what the Smiths did in How Soon Is Now. You're um, right, and it's very yeah. And what is that? Is that a, a tremolo? Is are they using like a tremolo? And it's done really good. <laughs> But it's very. It sounds like a Fender amp. It sounds right. like a Fender amp with trim, which is what they used on House Sings Now. I, which, yeah, by the way, I is didn't the think only of that. No, that is not true. That is not true. It's a great song, and there are other good Smith songs. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to fight you on that, Gary. Yeah. But, uh, all right. It's probably just because you hate so many people dislike Morrissey so much that they. Well, he gives you so many reasons. <laughs> he does. I know. He does. It's not just one. But There's anyway. not just one reason. Um, yeah, I mean, the lyric is funny. Um, it is funny, yeah, know, it and is. It's, and it, it's sort of autobiographical. I'm and, sick of the um, trees, take me to the city. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's a good, good song. But it just is. imagine, Lou Reed, he's recording, you know, this this album, and the two producers, I, I, I'm, I don't have their names in front of me, but they were um, had been worked on, one of them had worked on, like, some jazz records, and so they were definitely hip characters. Um, and then you, so you're in the studio recording this and then you get on the train and you go back and, uh, you know, you walk in the kitchen and your mom is sitting there. How was recording, Lou? <laughs> right, right. So. Yeah, um, it was Shel Kagan and Jeffrey Haslam. Right. And what I know about Kagan is that he produced the All in the Family record. <laughs> well, yeah. And so... You know, how did they come up with this particular amalgam of talent unloaded? I will never know. Right. Um, who was available? At, at, at that point, it could have been. So who, who's who got an empty slot in their schedule, basically? Okay. Because Velvet Underground Records, they're not expecting them to, uh, you know, burn up the charts. Right. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, right. right. <laughs> all right. So let's get to the final song on the record proper, which is the song Oh, Sweet Nothing. Knocked the shirt right off of his back. He ain't got nothing at all. And say a word for Ginger Brown. He walks with his head down to the ground. Having your head down in a Lou Reed song is appears multiple times. Oh, does it? Okay. Because That's a in, thing. yeah, on um 
in um, a side two of uh, White Light, White Heat, um, um, I heard her call my name. Um, he's, I got my head uh, between my knees. So that sort of slumped over thing is is appears you know that's part of Lou's uh, a part of Lou's uh, uh, if his uh, pantheon of ideas right right yeah well, he, I, he couldn't keep he couldn't keep his head high as his parents I, told exactly him. <laughs> it's true yeah, really uh, yeah so it appears multiple times in his uh, 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 in his. So on paper, reading the lyrics, this definitely sounds like a Lou Reed song because he's talking about a lot of different characters, Ginger Brown, you know, he sings about with all these different characters. But this is like, this song has Doug Yule all over it. Yeah. And kind of to its detriment to me because he's he's singing lead, but he's also playing drums on this and he's playing the guitar solos. And to me, the guitar solos in this are about as mainstream rock as anything you'll ever hear the Velvet Underground do. Right. You know? Yeah. Just like mainstream blues rock guitar licks. Yeah, it's, it's not just that it's mainstream, it's that it's the, the lead in the song aren't particularly well played. He's a little out of tune. He's, he's playing a lot of cliches. Right, right, and, right. You know, it's, it's not really landing for me. I think, you know, if they were going to go with this exact same type song, I would have buried this at the end of Tide One and gone with New Age. Right, yeah, you're right. Yeah, as I you're mentioned right. before. Because New Age packs a wallop that Oh Sweet Nothing doesn't quite do. Although, you know, given the context of what Lou was going through at the time, I guess Oh Sweet Nothing takes on, um, you know, maybe a slightly deeper meaning. But yeah. Still, right. it's, not, it's not the strongest song in the record. It's not. Me. And it's like, it, 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 it's like one of his classic three chord, you know, it's basically three chords and it like builds, but it never, I, I think the problem is it's trying to sound like a band song, but it's not because it's Doug Yule basically right. playing all these instruments on yeah. it. And it just all sounds kind of, it just kind of lays flat. It's kind of flat. Well, I think it harkens a little bit forward to um, Lou's solo album Berlin because it's got sort of that same uh, feeling to me as songs on Berlin Um, and that you know that just just darkness bleak darkness in the lyrics Um, but I find it interesting about the guitar playing on the album because having Doug Yule play those leads because Lou was the lead guitar player right. in the Velvet Underground. Right. And so he obviously knew, and Lou's one of my favorite guitar players of all time. And because he plays in a kind of um, intense and slightly off-kilter fashion. Yeah, yeah, right, right. And, and, and this, Doug Yule does not. He's playing right. everything just Lou obviously knew if we're going to have hits, yeah. it, I'm not going to be playing those leads i'm the guy who plays the you know the lead on i can't stand it anymore and it sounds like you know um that you've opened the doors to the insane asylum and uh so he he was definitely they were definitely going for okay we need to get um something we need to get some sales here and uh you know, it peaks on the middle of side one, basically. So, yeah, Gary, I'm going to guess uh, over time you've listened to the first side of the record more than the second side. Oh, like, totally. Um, well, I would say yes, except for 
Head Held High is my favorite. Is your oh uh, right, yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I would flip it over to side two, play Head Held High, and then go back to side go one. Go back to yeah, side right, one. Yeah. Sure, right, right, sure, yeah. right. Right, right. It's definitely. Uh, Front-loaded record, I think. Well, on the sure. okay, so on the third Velvet's record, the one before this, there's the side two has the long piece on it called "Murder Mystery," which doesn't get discussed a lot in the Velvet, you know, canon as well. Um, I've learned to love it over the years, but it's and it's sort of like the gift, um, but it's sort of the same thing. When you get to that point in side two, you're like, oh, it's the murder mystery. So you just, you know. And you flip it over and you start again right. uh, uh, on on side one. Right, right. Yeah, side one of the Velvet Underground's third record is is really amazing. I mean, it is. It is. Says, I was listening to it today what, actually because I was going back. Yeah, what goes on pale blue pale blue eyes? It's great. Yep. Yeah. Do you always find? I mean, I always find myself going back, especially because I listened to this one. Then I said, "Ah, I got to right. end up listening to all of them." I just yeah. there's something about the Velvet Underground, you know. You just you always go back to it and you listen to it, and a lot of times you just you hear new stuff every time, almost. Yeah. You know? Yep. That's crazy. All right. Well, uh, so that's the that's the record that's loaded. Um, Thank you so much, Gary, for coming on and doing this. It was a uh, it was a great choice, and obviously, yes, you have. And I think your encyclopedic knowledge of the record. We probably should <laughs> well, have let been you listen to it since it's a goddamn teenager. Yeah, we should have let you uh, talk more and shut up. But you know how we are. We can't. Yeah, we can't do. That. Get a couple of drinks in us, and it's all over. It, it's it's nice of you to say that, but really, it's probably more than anything evidence of a misspent youth. <laughs> Well, you know, hey, there's right. worse things you could have been doing. That's yeah, exactly. You're still around now, so exactly. In uh, Benedict, and you're doing fine. Um, all right, so I just want to remind everyone: uh, if, if you like listening to us, uh, the best way to support us is is to share our the website, and you could just share individual or share episodes the SoundCloud episode. On, that's uh, right. Media on different so your different various social media things, and think about uh, becoming a what, Barry? Patron on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash TRGMH for as little as $1 a month. You become a patron of me and Barry and uh, just be a good person instead of the horrible person you are right now. Right. All right. What do we got next week? I'm not arguing at this point. I'm just going to let you do your thing. (laughs) Just let me go. What do we got next week? We got It's our next Live at Laser Wolf. Live at Laser Wolf with uh, a a second repeat uh, performance of Camilla Rizzo. Camilla Rizzo doing a hardcore a album. divisive Black Flag album. Right, because it's the one after Damage. Yep, divisive Black Flag, My War by Black Flag. That's uh, June 26th, so if you're in the area, come by Laser Wolf. We usually start up around 8 o'clock, and they're a lot of fun, right, Barry? Yeah, I usually yeah, have fun, fun. yeah, right. drunk by the end of it. So mm, yeah, free beer. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, come out for And that. My War is a, <laughs> it's an intense, it's like, it's like a, a, a it's like if you took the album Damage and you um, dipped it in a vat of THC. <laughs> yeah, right. And slowed it down. Like, slowed it down. Slower speed. Put the sludge, turn on the sludge, uh, you know, you have a sludge knob on the amp. Um, and Camilla's fantastic. She is great. And so that's next week. Uh, once again, Gary, thank you so much for being our guest. We really enjoyed this, and I'm sure we will have you on again sometime. Pick and, another uh, record. And we invite, as always, Big Dipper is invited to come down and do a little South Florida tour whenever you guys that's want. Right. We'll, you guys we'll, can we'll all stay up. at Barry's, Barry's place. We'll get and, extra, uh, get extra rooms. We can make it happen. Yeah, you can't stay at my place, because at Barry's place you can't. Um, all right, so once again, Thanks, until- <laughs> thank you, <laughs> thank Gary. You on. Once again, uh, that is Barry Stock. That is Rob Elba. And where that record got me high, we'll see you guys next week.